warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. It's the Real Britannia podcast, the very British podcast about very British movies, just a hint of professionalism. Good morning, Scott here. It's another in our season of Hammer retrospectives. We're still in 1959. A little bit of debate as to whether this is a true horror or not. We'll be talking about it as we go along. Joining me, as usual, is Mark. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. And Stephen. Good morning, sir. Morning, Matt. It's you, Mac. Hey, hey. Let's open this debate immediately. Horror or not horror for the Hound of the Baskervilles? Uh, nah, it's more a thriller with a, a few slightly horrific elements. Uh, but um, it's got the hand machine, so it's worth talking about. Absolutely. Stephen, what do you think? I'm a bit more inclined towards it being a horror just because of the way that Hammer do it, yeah, with the the gore and, mm. uh, you know, the mystery monster and, and obviously it helped along in your mind because of the, the actors in it, but it's not a full-blown Hammer horror in any sense, so, no, it it is a fringe film. They've added some elements to make it almost fit the mould that they've created over the last two or three movies. It's The Hound of the Baskervilles, it's 1959, here's the trailer, we'll be back after this. <laughs> Take heed, and beware the moor in those dark hours when evil is exalted. Else you will surely meet the Hound of Hell, the Hound of the Baskervilles. Which way? For heaven's sake, which way? The greatest story ever written by one of the world's greatest storytellers, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's classic masterpiece of mystery, suspense, and horror, The Hound of the Baskervilles. Some revolting sacrificial rite has been performed. What depths a human being can sink to. What human being could have done this? That is precisely what I intend to find out. But how can you be so certain that somebody took one of the bishop's spiders and deliberately placed it in Sir Henry's room? That it wasn't in the luggage he brought from South Africa? Elementary, my dear Watson. There are no tarantulas in South Africa. Identify anything I may find. Strange things are to be found on the moor. Like this, for instance. Why? You thought it was going to be easy, didn't you? Didn't you? You won't be the first of your family who thought that. And you won't be the first to die because of it. (laughs) 
Okay, that's The Hand of the Baskervilles, released in 1959, as we said. Directed, of course, by Terence Fisher. Written by somebody called Arthur Conan Doyle, apparently. Starring Peter Cushing, Andre Morel, Christopher Lee, Marla Landy. Keep your eyes open for Miles Malice and John LeMessurier and Sam Kidd amongst the supporting cast. The storyline, returning to his family's manor house on the Lonely Moors after his father dies under mysterious circumstances, Sir Henry Baskerville is confronted with the mystery of the supernatural hound that supposedly takes revenge upon the Baskerville family. The famous detective Sherlock Holmes and his assistant Dr. Watson are brought in to investigate. First question, obviously based on, you know, the, the Sherlock Holmes novel. Have you guys read the book? Yeah, several times. No, not this one, I haven't, no. Okay. It was a weird one. We studied it at school as a precursor to the O-Levels. Um, That's a weird choice. I mean, Arthur Conan Doyle is a great writer, but it's not a, it's not literature. I, would, I wouldn't yeah. know. It's a, it's a story, right? It's an odd yeah. one to study because it's not particularly literary and there's not particularly deep themes in it. So <laughs> exactly. that must have been tough. It's bizarre because it was wasn't part of the what we actually you know were tested on at the O levels because like we did Macbeth and To Kill a Mockingbird and the First World War poets I think were the three that we actually did. But I remember in the in the run up you know year three or four or whatever it would have been you know third year the old fourth year we actually studied down to the Baskervilles and it was the first one that I'd ever read and that's where my love for Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle came from and I've read all of them now. Yeah, it occurs to me that your teacher uh, probably. I mean, it's a page-turner. Uh, all of the Sherlock Holmes stories are page-turners, yeah. pretty much. So it kind of gets people interested in reading, maybe. Maybe that was it. You know? Yeah, it's not a particularly long novel. It's, you know, longer than... A lot of them were the short stories, weren't they? They were published in the, the Strand magazine or whatever. F- yeah, 56 short stories and four yeah. novels. And, yeah, it, as you say, it cracks along at a fair pace. But it's a bizarre one to, you know, be adapted for a movie. Because if, if you read the novel, Stephen, Sherlock Holmes really doesn't appear in it that often. And, and that's evident on the screen here, because he disappears. You know, he's not actually on the screen for a good half an hour, would you say? Yeah, I think it's in this a bit more than the actual Basil Rathbone one, actually, um, mm. to be honest. Uh, and the story is structured that way, though, right? It's not like mm. they've changed, modified it to, no. for the film to work like that. The novel is structured so that Sherlock Holmes is kind of undercover, basically, exactly. which they don't really use in this version, but it's just saying I'm busy or, or I want to <laughs> go and do my own research or whatever. You know, ultimately it's that, whereas uh, yeah, it's more under. Lurking the moors as an old tramp in, <laughs> in that's, that's faithful to the book, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. The biggest difference is the beginning. This first five, ten minute sequence where we get the actual history of the Baskerville family. And this is the bit I was sort of hinted at in the introduction. This is pure hammer, isn't it? This first five, ten minutes. Oh yeah, it's lush. It's visceral. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's basically it. It's a rape gang hunting a woman's kind of thing, isn't it? Right? Wow, that's a bit much. And they stick a bloke's head in a fire. Yes. And it's like, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> so they put her, they top front loaded with horror, right? Exactly. Yeah. Stephen, I mean, you've seen this film before. Yeah, and I think that um, what Mark just said there, where they front loaded with horror, is incredibly concise with it mm. because that sets a tone that the rest of the film doesn't really uh, maintain <laughs> but it's obviously trying to bring in the elements that people have gone to see a hammer horror for based upon what they've seen in the previous films and that's why i think i read that this was intended to be a series but didn't really capture the audience's attention as a as a hammer um yeah. film 
would do because um, you know that initial front load with, with horror um, didn't maintain throughout the film, which you can understand because it's based upon source material. So it definitely is that segment at the beginning is is one of the things that the Hammer have previously done with Frankenstein and Dracula, where they've done a, a twist or a, a change on the source material in order to, to hammer it up, yeah. um, as it were. Yeah, but that's really where where it starts and where it stops as well, to be perfectly honest. There's isn't a that? couple of extra, there are a couple of bits that I noticed. The scene with the tarantula, the spider, that was never in the book. Who's got the webbed fingers? There's somebody's got some webbed fingers or something. Um, Stapleford. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that Stapleton. Sorry. Yeah, I can't remember if that in the book or not. Actually, uh, but they definitely it, it is it is the same outcome as the book. So we get this typical what we now expect to be a hammer beginning, which then after this this wonderful introduction, this sort of classic hammer introduction, we then meet Holmes and Watson, and there's this marvelous scene at the beginning where. Holmes and Watson are at 221B Baker Street and it's just doing their usual sort of Holmes and Watson stuff that they usually do. And, and do you remember we've had this conversation, guys, about Peter Cushing being obsessed with props? And yes, yes. Trying to get things yeah. right, wasn't he? He used to, like, examine the props to make use of them and all of this. Look, I read somewhere that that is brought into the fore in this one because... I think, does he light a cigarette or a pipe with a... Pipes, pipes. Yeah, all the pipes, and he lights it with a piece of coal from the fire. And I didn't spot this, but I read something about these acid burns on his dressing gown or his, his, his day coat that he's wearing. Okay. Because obviously, you know, he, he does all the sort of like chemistry experiments and things, doesn't he, when he's doing his forensics and stuff. Yeah, he does a bit of forensics. Even down to acid burns in the dressing gown, apparently. Which is a oh, wonderful nice. little touch, yeah. Which I'm gonna to have to go back and have a little look at. Yeah. Well, I know he's, you know, he did apparently obsessive research about Sherlock Holmes with the books and making, mm. you know, had a pages of notes and that authentic attitude towards it. Um, was something, you know, he brought in some lines of his own, which were from some of the other books, in order to try and, and make the character more. Sherlock Holmes and the script would be led. So um, yeah. there was something to do with the mantelpiece as well, with regards to some of the the props on there as well. That seems to be cool. So he he did try to make it this as as close to the books as possible, and the the costumes matching the illustrations from the Strand magazine and and things like this, rather than just being just anything generic uh, Victorian or or whatever. So yeah, I think it, he. He did his best to to try and add to it. Am I yeah. right in saying, sorry, am I right in saying this is the first colour Sherlock Holmes movie? Yes, yes, it is, yes. So it's what, certainly what? the first one, first Hound of the Basketballs in colour. I think mm. it probably is the first Sherlock Holmes in its entirety, but it's certainly yeah. the first. I'm I'm pretty sure this was the first Sherlock Holmes. Sorry, the first time Sherlock Holmes was played by a different actor from Basil Rathbone since the Basil Rathbone series finished. Wow, um, so there's no other movie adaptation between I the don't think so. I can't think of any at all between uh, that last, or was it Sherlock Holmes and the Secret Weapon, or whatever it was, the one yeah. was fighting Nazis. Somehow Sherlock Holmes is in 1940s, you know, fighting Nazis. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, they, uh, and then there was this, and then there was several other, you know, studying terror and, and, and murder by decree and all that. Mm-hmm. And there's been loads of Sherlock Holmes since, mm-hmm. like, absolutely 
knows. But uh, I think this was... I'm not saying Peter Cushion was the second person to play Charlotte Holmes because I can't remember. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of non-American, non-British Sherlock Holmes movies as yeah. well. I'm pretty sure there's probably French ones and German ones. Because he's one of those kind of characters that um, spans, you know, cultures. He's one of those. Yeah. I'm sure there were some silent versions pre-Rathbone as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I did read yeah. on that, I read that somewhere. We've got the classic pairing of Cushing and Lee. Christopher Lee, probably miscast in this or not? What do you think? I think he's okay um, mm. in this. I think he's perfectly fine. It's interesting to see him not as a villain or even a hero mm. particularly. Mm. He's just a character. I don't mind him. It didn't need to be Christopher Lee, though. It doesn't really. <laughs> it, it's still yeah. Cushing's film by far. But. Yeah. Stephen? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, the, yeah, there's very little for him to really do as Christopher Lee usually would. It's a uh, uh, not the main role, and he certainly wouldn't fit playing a sidekick to you know as, as Doctor Watson. Yeah. He, he's got too much natural intelligence um, that we know of, and so it's difficult to see who else he could have played in. in yeah, this. I mean the the natural analog from the literary. Uh, version is probably Minecraft Holmes. He comes across mm. very much like Minecraft Holmes. And in fact, he has played Minecraft Holmes and has played Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, Minecraft Holmes feels like part built for Crystal. You know, he's big, he's imposing, yeah. he's cleverer than Sherlock Holmes. That's right, um, yeah. Thinks, uh, Sherlock's just tinkering with the edges. Yeah, um, it's, it's just yeah, a, it's an average role, isn't it, for Christopher Lee in this one? It's like you say, he's not the hero, he's not the villain. He's almost like, uh, I don't know, it would have been played by Francis Matthews or somebody in one of the Hammers, you know, that sort of um, character actor. It's probably Lee's most insignificant role in his entire Hammer career, actually. It <laughs> yeah, um, just doesn't suit Christopher Lee. All the other ones he does is, is great, you know? Mm. And he goes from like, Min, you know, Rasputin to the Duke de Richelieu, uh, from bad to good. Uh, and, you know, Frankie Sanders was someone. But there's no problem with Christopher Lee. I mean, he's, this is fine. He's, we're not saying he's acting yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. It's just a bit strange to see him. While we're talking about the main cast, what I like about this is Andre Morel, who is a fantastic actor, as we know, because Stephen and I reviewed Cash on Demand, didn't we, mate, for Christmas with yeah. Andre Morel and, and Peter Cushing, and we loved him in that. It's nice that audiences can actually see a version of Watson that is very true to the book and is not that almost bumbling type Watson that we were used to with Nigel Bruce in yeah. the Rambo series. Yeah, uh, it, it, somewhere, I have to say the first few scenes with Holmes and Watson are very evocative of the Rathbone version, mm-hmm. uh, Rathbone and Bruce version. But uh, yeah, Andrew Mayer is a way different character than the Nigel Bruce version because um, in the books, uh, Watson is not like that. He's, a, he's kind of a man of action, if anything. It's the uh, ex-army thing, isn't it? He's an him, ex-army you know? doctor, mm-hmm. you know, he's seen the world, right? Yeah. Uh, and he has solved, he does, does, there is one famous story where he kind of solves the case, uh, which is going to be interesting too. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, I, I'm, and you know, Peter Cushion and Andre will go back some, uh, they were both in the 1980, Nigel Neal's 1984. Uh, he was, um, uh-huh. O'Brien in, in 1984. And he was Quatermass in Quatermass in the Pit, the TV version. Of course. 
Christopher Lee. Um, See, we always Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing with the double act, but he looks like Andre Morel and Peter Cushing have got a bit of a history. A, a bit, a bit. Oh, but Andre Morel's just a good actor as well. Yes. Yeah. Stephen, yeah. you was a, you was singing his praises, weren't you, at Christmas? Yeah, yeah. The, and certainly they had good chemistry there, and they have good chemistry here. And the way that Watson is portrayed, you're absolutely right. Is showing him to not just be you know, the idiot there that's used to for exposition so that it gives an opportunity to have somebody for Sherlock to, to actually um, explain the case too in order that the audience is also getting it or the reader. Yeah. This is somebody who actually is coming up with some of the answers themselves and, and like you said, the action element certainly is there. But yes, as far as the actors go, I think you know, that's the history of them with Cash and Demand and 1984, that they, they clearly have some pleasure working with each other, I would say. Well, we're going to hit the, uh, the crypt of fame very soon, but while we're on the subject of cast, it, it was great to see some famous faces pop up in this. I mean, for example, John Measurer as um, Barrymore, the butler, it was brilliant. I mean, I love John. We, we love all John, John the Measurer yeah. stuff anyway, don't we? It's not just Dad's Army. We know that. But he was absolutely fantastic in this. Miles Mallison pops up as the bishop. Oh, it was terrific. Yeah, Miles Mallison. Uh, really playing cool. Miles Mallison again, though. That's all yeah. you need. <laughs> yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> Sam Kidd. Sam Kidd Claxon, for God's sake. I don't know if this is the first Sam Kidd hammer I think we've probably had. And the massive presence of Francis the Wolf as Dr. Mortimer, who crops up in many, many things. Uh, Mark, you're re-watching early Doctor Who's at the moment, aren't you? Yeah. Francis the Wolf was in that really controversial episode of The Keys of Marinus with Hartnell. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I mean, you are going back a bit now. I'm, I'm on Tom Baker now. Oh, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're uh, flying yeah, the Keys of Marinus was a bit of a, um, a hot mess, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, but he was, uh, he was, I think, could have been wrong. I thought he was also one about the French Revolution, where he was a bit handsy with, uh, Barbara. But I could be wrong. It might have been. He might have made a comeback in there, yeah. Might have made a reappearance. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, but he's in loads of things, as is Sam Kidd. Yeah, it isn't a massive cast. It focuses on sort of like three or four people, you know, throughout the duration of the movie. What I'm going to suggest is, Stephen, can you open the door to the Crypt of Fame, please, mate? And let me just see if anybody's actually going to get inducted this way. Okay, Stephen, Crypt of Fame, probably not too taxing this week, because as I say, not a massive cast. Not a massive cast, no, certainly uh, some uh, repeat appearances though, I mean, you mentioned just then about some kid, as far mm-hmm. as his Hammer history, this is his second appearance actually, oh. uh, previously he was in Quatermass. Was he, I think he was, I was wondering if he was one of the squaddies, actually. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking next to the unknown, actually, but I I just pictured him as a soldier. Mm. I couldn't remember. Thankfully, yeah, so he's heading towards having his own seat in the crypt. So, um, Miles Mallison, um, this is his second appearance because he was in Dracula. Um, Was Was he playing a member of the clergy in that as well? Probably. I can't yeah. remember. Or oh, 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 one, one of the um, oh, one of the professors. 
because yeah. uh, that's what he, he, he tended to do, didn't he? Professors or judges or clergy. Yeah, um, absolutely. So got two people actually getting into the uh, the crypt fully with having three appearances. One of those is a guy called Christopher Lee. Wow! Oh, is that only third? I'll forget how, what we've done. I've, what's uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so what, what are the three then? That'd be Dracula, Frankenstein, and this. That, I mean, come on, you should remember that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, Dracula and Frankenstein. And then the, uh, the other one making their third appearance is uh, Michael Mulcaster. Can I stop you for just a second? Yeah. Wouldn't Christopher Lee be in both Frankensteins and Dracula, then? No, he wasn't in the second Frankenstein. Oh, of course he wasn't. It's a different monster, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, different monster. different monster. Yeah. Completely different monster. Okay, exactly, sorry. yeah. 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 So, so, yes. I, I, uh, I was quit querying the three. No, I thought no, it's, it's, no it's fine. That, no, it's yeah. fine. And, and that's, that was the other one that Michael Mulcaster was in, both Frankensteins. That was, yeah. that was that. So, yes, there's, there's three people making their fourth appearance, which is uh, Jack Asher, who was in Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula and Revenge of Frankenstein. We've obviously got, um, as the director, Terence Fisher, um, yes. who's done the uh, previous appearances with the Frankensteins and, and Dracula. And then, um, just to, to add in, because it's the Hammers producer, uh, mm-hmm. Anthony Nelson Keys, uh, Abominable Snowman, uh, Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula, and Revenge of Frankenstein. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah I just uh, shout out to Jack Asher because he was the cinematographer on some marvellous films. Uh, I know we talk about Terence Fisher, and we're going to be talking about Terence Fisher a lot, but uh, over, the, uh, you know, over the course of this, but Jack Asher really made some of those early hammers really pop. And, yes. and this film looks great too, right? They, you know, it's got a certain style and you to see it and I associate it with Terence Fisher but I'm wondering now if it's Jack Asher what you think about it, a lot of this is pretty much studio based isn't it studio bound this entire yeah. movie and even though yes you can see it's, it's in a studio it still looks sumptuous doesn't it for want of a better word it does look quite impressive the whole of the set design and the cinematography working together with this you know it's the quality we're coming to expect from a Hammer movie it's absolutely fine isn't it have we got anybody else Yes, two people making their fifth appearances. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the one. We've got, obviously, you've got um, James Bernard, uh, James yes. Bernard, sorry, Kessa Frankenstein, Dracula, Quatermass 2, and X the Unknown. And then Peter Cushing as well, mm-hmm. Abominable Snowman, Kessa Frankenstein, Dracula, and uh, Revenge of Frankenstein. One person with their sixth appearance, which is the producer, uh, Michael Carreras. Yep. Abominable Snowman, Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula, Quirtimus, uh, Revenge of Frankenstein, and X the Unknown. And then we've got one person making their seventh appearance, which is really? producer-wise, is Anthony Hind. Oh, cool. Curse of Frankenstein, Dracula, Quirtimus, Quirtimus 2, Revenge of Frankenstein, X the Unknown, etc. So, but yes, actors-wise, as you say, it's quite a sparse cast. Yeah, really. And a number of those, you know, may have uh, appeared, well, they have um, appeared in other things uh, that we've done on this podcast, but not in the Hammers. Have you so, compiled yeah. the actual Village Hall of Fame this week as well? Then? I do have that. <laughs> Of course, of course, yes. This is is the only reason we invite you along because nobody else can get their head around this. (laughs) Ignore it. No, no. Stephen's got Stephen's got this 
wonderful brain that can analyse this spreadsheet like nobody else. I don't even look at it now because he did share it with me as a Google Doc once, and it was like, oh my god, what have you created a monster there? You know, and, and obviously it gets bigger and bigger every week. You know, I feel like it's some sort of multi-dimensional quantum <laughs> spreadsheet now. Uh, the like Tony Stark. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I'm when I'm doing it, I've got I've, yeah, I've got all the screens which I'm putting my hands up in the air and flipping yeah. things around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nintendo Power Glove. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like some my, Minority Report or something over here. <laughs> So, the Village Hall of Fame. There are a few I'll, I'll try and run through quickly without getting too bogged down in listing all the, the films as such. But yeah, two people making their second appearances, which is David Burks, who uh, night to remember previously, and uh, Ewan Solon, who was obviously uh, playing Stapleton yep. uh, with his webbed hand. Um, he was in Dam Busters. Yeah. Two people making their third appearance, so getting their, an actual. Um, seat in the hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francis De Wolf, uh, mm-hmm. who was previously in Scrooge and From Russia with Love, and the previously mentioned uh, Michael Morecaster, who was in both of the Frankenstein's. Right. And then running through the the rest of them, three people with a fourth appearance, which mentioned Jack Asher, mentioned Terence Fisher, and um, also there's Helen Goss who was in Carry On Sergeant, Gideon's Day and Wicked Lady. Mm-hmm. Fifth appearances, we've already mentioned Anthony Nelson Keys, but also Andrea Morell, Penn Rillington plays Cash on Demand, Man Who Never Was, Seven Days to Noon. John Lee Measurer, as we mentioned. Yes. Uh, six uh, six uh, appearances, Admiral Crichton, Dad's Army, Gideon's Day, The Rebel and Private's Progress. Christopher Lee also has uh, six appearances stacked up now because of has got the Antarctic and Lolita and wow. uh, Wickham. Seven appearances, obviously we mentioned Anthony Hind. Eight appearances, we mentioned Michael Carreras. Peter Cushman we've also mentioned, which is now nine appearances in total. Because <laughs> um, he also had on top of the hammers, he's got Doctor Who, Lolita and Violent Playground as well as Cash and Demand that we mentioned. Sam Kidd, now on 10 appearances. See, I thought he'd have been on more after five years of doing this podcast. Yeah, only 10. Yeah. He, he, he'll creep up there because he's in so many yeah. British films. But he's done, he did yeah. a lot of TV too, didn't he? That's mm, yeah. Yeah, although he's, uh, I noticed on on TV, advertised on Talking Pictures TV in the commercial break, is um, his biography, his autobiography being... Oh, yes, his son's, his son's written something, hasn't he? But he's never published at the time, and his son's sort of got it together and, and ah. made, got it published. Yeah, so that's useful. He was in 10 Willington Players, Cruel Sea, Dad's Army, The Long Arm, Passport, Medico, Pool of London, Quatermass, Scott of the Antarctic, and Seven Days to Noon. Um, I, I looked him up in Quatermass. It definitely comes straight back to me when I realised he was. He wasn't a squaddy. He was the police bloke on the desk talking <laughs> to Rosie the 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 lush, you know, who's going on about little uh, gin goblins. And he was the <laughs> police sergeant talking to him. And I totally see yeah. it now. I totally see it. Talking to the Hickson. Yeah. Oh, no, no, it that, was for a herd. I think for a herd. Sorry, yeah. 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 And then finally, we've got uh, 11 appearances for Miles Mallison. 11? Wow. <laughs> so, wow. 39, 39 steps, Admiral Crichton, Dead of Night, Dracula, 
Gideon's Day, Heaven's Above, Man Who Never Was, Peeping Tom, Parrot's Progress, and Scrooge. Incredible. I wouldn't have said he would have hit 11 appearances, you know, one more above Sam Kidd, but yeah, again, very prolific. Wow. Yes, as we say, say, it's those those names that you think, oh, I didn't expect them to be in virtually everything. (laughs) Wonderful stuff, mate. Thank you once again for doing that. With regard to the rest of the plot and the actors, as we say, we lose Peter Cushing for about almost a third of the movie, but it gives us this great opportunity, doesn't it, to meet those other actors and, and get to know the Barrymores and Andre Morel as, as Dr. Watson and, and all these sort of background people that, you know, normally if it was a Sherlock Holmes short story, it would be focused on Holmes and Watson usually and, and the investigations that Holmes would do. So already we've sort of had the horror element at the beginning. There's a couple of little bits of, like we said, There's the tarantula thing, which uh, is a reason to bring Miles Mallison in, really. Uh, Again, not in the original text. No. So they basically the difference is they jettison the the, the tarantula figures in there, and they jettison the whole Holmes being a tramp in the moors, you know, figuring out stuff out there. But he's still kind of doing remote research, uh, and there's a whole love story, or or uh, what appears to be a love story, with the character who again isn't in the book Cecile um, that's it and that's Henry it. there was a major difference there yeah that was it so really we get like you know this whole sequence in the middle where the star or who we assume is the star of the whole movie is completely absent throughout so we get this wonderful sort of like middle section where we're trying to work out what's going on with the Barrymores and the light in the window and the escape convict and, and how is it all linked you know for people that haven't seen the movie you know you're thinking okay well look Sherlock Holmes isn't here there's a lot of stuff going on how's this all going to resolve itself and then he comes back and, and you know things start to piece together we start to get the investigative sort of process starts to kick in and for, to my mind i mean as i say this is a strange one to adapt as a movie because Holmes isn't in a lot of the story but the appeal of it I think is this supernatural element with the hound isn't it I think this is why it's the most famous one it's probably yeah, one that's the uh, most yeah and it's also probably the most popular book as yeah. well I think for Sherlock Holmes novel I mean the short stories are, are probably more popular but it, it kind of lends itself and it's a novella so you can almost do a straight sort of conversion of the plot mm-hmm. scene by scene and it would still work you know but they didn't do that. Yeah. They didn't. Does Hammer do that? The changes. I think it's very, uh, really well done, though. I, I have to say, it engages you all the way through this one. Yeah, Stephen. I mean, you've seen this a few times, as we said. It is a, it is a Hammer. It is a sort of a Hammer horror. But at the same time, this does sort of stand alone as a great Sherlock Holmes adaptation, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, this is a uh, very much a, a mystery all the way through with elements getting added as quickly as as things are being solved. And like you mentioned earlier on, a certain amount of there's an action element to it with chasing around on the moors and mm. extra things like that. Yeah, but, the, the mine collapsing, you know, yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And and even, you know, would you say the, the introduced character of Cecile where, where Dr. Watson chases after her, I mean, that's a, a little bit of action there, as you say, showing his his character in that way but mm. um, there's also a subtlety in there I think like you mentioned the Barrymore's 
the way that I think a lot of that is based upon a subtlety of performance with certain looks and things that are given. I mean, when they're talking about Toast in the previous Lord and other things like that, because they've got their own story going on, the looks they give each other and, and the way that they're reacting to, to small things, uh, you know, to the side of the screen almost, I think that is something that's easily overlooked and deserves a bit of a mention. It does rattle along just the story, uh, like you say, which is probably indicative of the book. But, you know, you, you still have time to take in that there is a, a plot and there is an investigation going on rather than things being solved before you even realise they are actually a mystery. You get to dwell on it a little bit with each bit, which I think is, is well done. And, yeah, there's some elements put in there that you might, I don't know, from the book might be things that are being added uh, to to fill almost I don't think any of it feels necessarily out disjointed and out of place even if it's not part of the original story I think they've still made it work yeah it's, it's just got this hammer twist to it basically isn't it it's just been what did you say earlier not, not hammerized or something. I can't remember you this wonderful phrase earlier that it's been you know hammer have got their claws into it and, and made it their own it's a very very good adaptation yeah it's, uh, at the time I believe the critics really like this um, and certainly they liked uh, both Cushing and Morel uh, but the audiences didn't turn up the, this was intended to be the first of a series I understand but uh, yes, they didn't yeah. Hammer were getting a feel for their market and obviously this was like okay our audiences don't like us doing this kind of thing so they went back to more you know the mummy well but actually the mummy was already in production yeah well, there was I think one... it was short sighted though if they were going to have this as a series because yes Andrew Morel and Peter Cushing working well together but they probably should have held Christopher Lee back as a character to be in the Sherlock Holmes until it did get to, to Minecraft so I think mm. they maybe busted the flush there as it were by by introducing him here in a in slightly miscast so mm. but I would have liked to have seen this end up spurring there being subsequent Sherlock Holmes films from Hammer I think and, and had a series of them to be perfectly honest and yeah it, yeah it would have been uh, what would have been really cool something like if they did it as almost like an anthology series uh, after this film where each film was two or three of the stories uh, short stories and so we got two or three stories for Sherlock Holmes in each film would have been an interesting form um, yeah. I don't know if it had worked but I'll, that would have been pretty terrific well, yeah, any chance to see more Peter Cushing as Sherlock Holmes would have been great. You know, I mean, he, do, he does reprise the role, doesn't he, in a later... Oh, yeah, I, yeah, there was a TV series uh, with him as Sherlock Holmes, and I believe he even did land on the basketballs again. I could be wrong, but I believe yeah. he yeah, and I have to say there is like a Peter Cook and Dudley Moore version of Sound of the Baskervilles, there is, which yeah. isn't great. I mean, they ne- they never really got properly represented in their comedy in, in films, apart from mm. Bedazzled. I think. But in that, stylistically, it looked a lot like this. So I think they were kind of riffing on this. Go back and have a look at that one before we sort of wind this up with chatting about the hound itself and the final scene let's have a bit of fun let's have a bit of hammer bingo it's time for bob's full house of horror (laughs) 
Okay, Bob's Full House of Horror, our miserable attempt to try and lighten the proceedings with a game of bingo based on some of the tropes that's found in any, any Hammer horror film. So we've swapped the cards around this week. Mark, you've got bingo card number one. If you want to go right. through, mate, let's see how many okay, points. Okay, I'm pushing that. hard to try to get some points on this, <laughs> just so you want. Pitchfork <laughs> Villager, no, 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 there's not one of them. Michael Ripper, no, no, no. <laughs> Mad Scientist, uh, unfortunately not. Uh, spooky boat. Right, okay. <laughs> okay, well, there was the lights across the moors. Uh, that, <laughs> and they were, they were a bit odd, a weird and draw suspicion. Is that? I, I, I think, and, and with the, you know, the, the climactic scenes, um, I think there's a bit more around that as well, where there's a bit of a glow going on, uh, when the hound does, um, make Oh, yeah, it's, it's, so, is his mask slightly luminous or something? I'm sorry. Yeah, I think there is, there is, I think, an element to that. You know, I'm inclined to, uh, agree with you that you should get a point for that. To be yes. honest, there's going to be so few points available this week. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and Mark is behind. I think Mark can claim <laughs> as many points as he would like. So give him one for that. There we go. Yeah. Keep it a competition, right? Uh, the f- number five for me is Blood Red Eyes. No, there wasn't any that I can remember. Uh, right. Okay. Here we go. Good blonde, bad brunette. Well, Sherlock Holmes is blonde, uh, and Cecile was a brunette, right? So there you yeah. go. I'm giving him that. I'm giving him that. <laughs> uh, himbo. Oh. Himbo. Uh, I can't really... I, I was tempted to try and push for Christopher Lee's the himbo, but he's too clever to be a himbo. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And then the last one was Barbara Shelley. No, we've got no one even close to Barbara Shelley. I mean, what was it? What's her name? Marla Landis. She was okay. She wasn't great. Just yeah. To be okay. honest. Uh, yeah. She was okay. Um, a bit of a firecracker, but totally out of places like a... A British daughter, you know, I know she said, Oh, I was educated overseas. No, you weren't. You're from that place. Don't give me all that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a band. It's like Sean Connor is a Russian submarine captain, right? Or, or, uh, or, uh, uh, immortal Egyptian. It just ain't, yeah, nah. Yeah, not quite right. Well, we give you the two points for that, mate, because, yeah, thank you. It's about your average score over the weeks. He's only two to three. All right. Nobody's fault. It's the way these cards come out. Do you want to just uh, add some salt into his wound or what? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right, <laughs> well, let's see how mine goes. I've got card number two. So, Spooky Coachman. Um, there was a coachman, but he wasn't particularly spooky from what I can remember. Uh, Barbara Shelley, the second one. She definitely wasn't in there. Mystery Monster. I've got to have a point for that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. The Hound is a mystery until yeah. the end, and it's a bleeding great day. <laughs> all the things to attack people, a great day. Yeah, great Goofiest day. dogs ever. Um, <laughs> bat on a string, no bats. Not even in the mine, was there? There was nothing like that, so... James Bernard's score, I think I'm yes. for that. Him Very, going, I have to say, that score was properly bombastic, wasn't it, in this one? Really? Wow. It Blimey. was good, yeah. Himbo is a, is a no. Uh, as for inventive crucifix, there's absolutely no need for any inventive crucifixes in this movie. Transform Terror. Well, the dog was wearing a mask. That's what I was going to go for. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. I love <laughs> Well, go go on, yeah. I mean, it's uh, we've we've been quite easy going on this one, and and I don't see any argument against it because the dog had to transform into being a, a terror for this film to work. So rather than it just being like you said, just a goofy dog. So yeah, 
Brilliant. Okay, so we'll take that, but give him me three points this week. Yeah, well, it had to be one more than Mark, didn't it? Your points you got. Yeah, of course, of course. Right, now, now, Mark, just a reminder that Stephen is, well, at the beginning of this, was four points in front of me and six uh, points in front of you, so he needs to get as few points as possible on this, uh, this point. <laughs> Card. So, Stephen, card number three, sir. Right. So, uh, plunging cleavage. Uh, I think we saw not only uh, with Cecile, but also the maid who was chased yeah. originally yeah. in the early Absolutely. scenes. Uh, deformed assistant. No, there was somebody who was a bit deformed, but it wasn't an assistant. Uh, Andre Moreau had a limp. Yeah. That's what I'd argue if that was my card. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right, well, I don't think I'll get away with that one, <laughs> right, uh, you, you supporting me. Michael Ripper, unfortunately not. No. No, that was a missed opportunity to squeeze him in somewhere, so I'll give up on that one. Uh, Thunder and Lightning, uh, unfortunately, no, there wasn't. There wasn't, was there? I thought there might have been. Yeah, I have to that, say there yeah. was. I'm pretty sure there was, <laughs> actually, uh, because uh, she was, they were sort of saying something about being out on the moors. Maybe it was the cold. Oh, ah. No, it was, no it, was init- it was the initial scenes, wasn't it, when the chased her out into the moor, it was, and he was getting Oh, it was Thunder and Lightning, yeah. He was getting yeah. on his horse, horse to, to, um, to chase that. The uh, maiden out into the yeah, yeah I think they were yeah, yeah, so well, Mark, right, this well, is not looking good. This is not I'll have fun doing like then, so that's two yeah. so far. Uh, yeah. I have the self dignity of of actually being straight on it. That that's that's the only win I can take from this. So I might as well. Yeah, it. yeah, you you you've been fair and consistent. So that's two so far, right? Uh, spooky glow. Well, um, the argument has just been uh, made very well by. Yeah. Um, on that one, I don't so. remember that argument. I don't think I was. I've cut my own throat. Yeah. Uh, and where did we land on the good blonde bad brunette? Uh, apart from Matt. Yeah. We allowed that, yeah. Bloody hell. Um, uh, mystery monster, I, I believe. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Was it five um, now? Yeah, it? five. Uh, and, and, and James Bernard score. <laughs> and of a possible, what is it, eight, isn't it? Possible eight, yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the best. <sighs> So far, yes. No, to be perfectly honest, I don't, I don't think I don't think we've ever got six on any of the other actual proper no. horrors. To be honest, <laughs> no, that was just luck of the draw there. Oh my life! Right, okay. and of yeah. all the things not to get, my, not Michael Ripper out of all that, you know, yeah, we've got six without Michael Ripper. Yeah, yeah, we did have Sam Kidd instead, I suppose, as a as a replacement. Oh, there's not enough. There's not enough Michael mm, for that. No. Okay, Mark, you scored two on that round, bringing you up to twenty. I scored three, bringing it up to 23, so you've closed the gap on me. But Stephen, with six points, has now raced ahead with 30. Who designed these cars? I don't forget, yeah, I forget yeah. who designed the cars. But it's also, they're rotating as well, so it's yeah, totally yeah. random as to what we're going to get. So, like, next review, which is going to be The Mummy, I've got card one, Stephen's got two, and Mark will have three. We'll see. We'll see. There's, I don't there's like a lot going on in The Mummy, yeah. so, yeah. So, yeah, so I'll have to rely upon a James Bernard score and listen to <laughs> Transform Terror. So. Oh, fantastic stuff. I can just see where this is going. Now, Stephen's lead is not being caught at any point. You're, you're catching up with me, Mark, as I say, but uh, Stephen's flying away at the moment. Okay. 
let's just finish this off. We're talking about the Hound itself. And as you mentioned, Mark, it's a great game with a mask on. There was this wonderful documentary on the Blu-ray that I watched. And the lady that designed the mask for the dog is still alive or was still alive at the time of this interview and she was saying about how they made it and and trying to you know we've been trying to put a mask on a dog the great dane of all things they're strong and and the great dane right he's a big dog as we know he's a big big dog but it's not big enough to represent what the hound of the baskerville should be so do you know what they did they put a mask on a, a lion or something stupid <laughs> like that. They got a, a midget to stand in for. They did. They did. No. Did they? They got, they, oh. got a couple, they got a couple of midgets and dressed them up as Sherlock Holmes. And then with some oh, clever, I see. Oh, with okay. some clever I thought you meant as a dog. No. <laughs> you're, yeah. the, you're the back end, I'm the front end. <laughs> Yeah, no, they did yeah. like a pat on my horse. Yeah, no, it was <laughs> they 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 got a very small Sherlock Holmes suit and sort of like with clever angles and perspective and <laughs> how weird. Which is what they did in Casablanca, wasn't it? They um, you know, the end scene in Casablanca, you know, where they're saying goodbye in the airport. Yeah, because it was filmed in the studio. The aeroplane in the background is only like a quarter or half the size. Yeah. And if you look really closely, the guys that are walking about on the runway, you know, like the airport maintenance guys or whatever they are, they're they're actually midgets. Oh, man, I've got to watch that. Yeah. So, yeah, the special effects crew deserve... (laughs) the <laughs> definite mention I here. didn't notice it yeah I did not notice that it's only yeah. one bit I think it's the bit where the dog leaps off of right. like, the coffin or the whatever it is the crypt bit and they had to like get this very short stand in in a very small Sherlock Holmes suit or Dr. Watson suit or whatever it was so oh, it was, <laughs> oh we're going to have a great Jane jump on you <laughs> so overall final thoughts Stephen what did you think, mate? I know you've seen it a few times, so it still stands up, doesn't it, surely, this movie? Oh, yeah, it's certainly enjoyable. And although, obviously, yes, it's, it's mid-60 or more years ago, yeah. 60, 70 years ago, it's still a uh, romp, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. It's still, the time passes incredibly quickly. It's actually, it doesn't seem to be, you know, it's an hour and 20 minutes. It's, it feels you know, more like it gets done within an hour because of the speed at which things are happening on screen. It still does take the time to inject the mystery in there so you're not missing out. You know, because you get some modern action films that have got some mystery to them and you don't really feel the mystery because they're too busy having explosions or car chases or whatever, whereas this gets the right balance between all the elements and the performances, um, as well as what you've said with regards to the cinematography what's shown on screen, what you, you're visually getting out of this is, is sumptuous, really, I think. Um, okay, Christopher Lee's you know, slightly miscast and underused, but other than that, I think every element of it is just a, a joy, really. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mark, your final thoughts on the movie? I know you like most of the Hammer stuff, and, you know, a bit of a Sherlock Holmes fan. This, this, this stands up, mate, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, this is solid. This is one of my favourite Sherlock Holmes movies, actually. Mm. Um, I really, really like this. I'd put it third best Sherlock Holmes movie ever after uh, Murder by Decree with Christopher Plummer and The yeah. Hand of the Baskervilles with Basil Rathbone, actually. I like that version 
better because it tracks the story better and kind of delivers better um, in some ways. However, I think Peter Cushing is a superlative Sherlock Holmes. I really, mm. really like this Holmes. It's a shame there wasn't more made of this series. I actually think that he's a better Holmes than Basil Rathbone, actually. Oh, he is. Um, no, he definitely is. Yeah. Um, but only Christopher Plummer, I think, surpasses Peter Cushing in terms of, for me, for, in terms of Holmes. Uh, and performances about Holmes um, uh, but uh, yeah this is a pretty marvellous film a very colourful uh, proper hammer the only weakness maybe was I think Marla Landy wasn't a great actress and this did not fit. it was a bit jarring in this story don't mm. mind Christopher Lee in this though actually I thought it was okay it just mm. hasn't hasn't isn't given much Christopher Lee-ish stuff to do really exactly. apart this from, is what I was trying to mention earlier yeah he's a bit of a moaner actually uh, yeah but and, there's nothing wrong with the performance at all as we've said. yeah and I can't buy the whole yeah so Henry has a weak heart it's like that's Christopher Lee that he hasn't got a weak anything yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, this, is the man, this is the man that was stabbed in the uh, in the back wasn't he during the war you know this story I yes. think they were stabbed. I know he has stabbed people. He has stabbed people, yeah. Well, uh, there was, I think it was something to do with the Lord of the Rings. Yes. And somebody was being stabbed in the back in a scene or something. And, and Christopher Lee turns to Peter Jackson and says, no, you don't make that noise when you're, you're stabbed in the back. And Peter yeah, Jackson, how would you know? He went, well, I have been, dear boy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard it was Peter Jackson said, no, imagine what the noise of someone being stabbed in the back yeah. like, and Pete and, and Christopher Lee was like I don't have to imagine that yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> incredible uh, man absolutely incredible yeah. but yeah oh, really oh. solid film solid solid film um, I'm not sure I'll put it in the hammer oeuvre because there's certainly films I like way more but those tend to be more horrific but uh, I really enjoy this as a show home story we're right to include it in the sequence though guys aren't we this one I yeah. Say, so, yeah. yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it's if, full, if, it's full brand hammer. As well mm. as I, I, I think you know if, if they hadn't have started it off with the the hammerization that mm. Matt pointed out at the beginning, and if it hadn't have had Christopher Lee uh, and Peter Cushing in it, I think there'd possibly be an argument that it wasn't fully fitting within, but within the definitions that we're using, which is obviously. The, definitive ones then absolutely it fits absolutely. yeah I mean Terence Fisher uh, James Bernard Peter Cushing Christopher Lee there you go what more do you want what more do you want yeah. well hold on to your hats guys because they're all going to make an appearance in our next movie let's take a break and we'll just have a quick chat about what we're watching next time <laughs> Okay, guys, we're going to stick in 1959. There's three or four movies released by Hammer in this particular year. And what we're doing, we are going to review them in the order they were released in the UK. So some might have been released in the US before, some might have been filmed before. But the next movie to be released after Hounds of the Baskervilles is The Mummy 1959. And as I said, we've got a reappearance not only for Terence Fisher, Jimmy Sangston, James Bernard. You've got Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee. We've got... One of my favourite character actors of all time, Raymond Huntley's in this. George Woodbridge, we have met 
previously in a hammer, usually plays a barman uh, or a coachman. Michael Ripper is in this, Harold Goodwin. There's a lot of famous faces. I'm sorry, Stephen, you've got a little bit more work to do with regard to the Crypt of Fame than the Hall of Fame next time. Egypt, 4,000 years ago. A land of strange rituals and savage cruelty. Many of their secrets are still hidden from the eyes of 20th century man. Secrets that protect their dead. Supernatural powers that once released can live again in our modern world. The Mummy, the Living Dead, bringing terror and death across 4,000 years. He was a high priest of the great god Karnak until one night he attempted the ultimate in blasphemy. He was condemned to guard forever the princess he had loved and protect her from intruders. Go now. Go and destroy those who desecrated the tomb of our princess. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. He who robs the graves of Egypt dies. synopsis because this is pretty much the same storyline as the universal one isn't it guys i think it's it's another it's very similar i don't know if they have permission entirely and i think they might have changed their names but in in essence it's very very similar but obviously way more colorful yeah well the storyline according to imdb in the 1890s a team of British archaeologists discover the untouched tomb of Princess Ananka but accidentally bring the mummified body of her high priest back to life. Three years later, back in England, a follower of the same Egyptian religion unleashes the mummy to exact grisly revenge on the despoilers of the sacred past. Looking forward to this one because it's Christopher Lee doing what he does best and playing a monster. Very, very fine performance. Yeah. Stephen, you've seen this one? I take it you have. I have, yeah. I've not seen it as often as uh, some of the other Hammers. Yeah. I've seen it, thankfully, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again and casting a bit of a more attentive eye over it, to be honest. There we go. Okay, that's The Mummy, which is our next Hammer movie. 
all that's left for me to say is to thank Mark and to thank Stephen for being here. Mark, the good, the bad, and the odd is where everybody can find you and your other podcast. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to talk about that much, but yeah, just www.wibblywobblywobbly.thegoodthebaddyodd.com and we cover all sorts. And we are doing Hammer at the moment as well as one of our series. Um, And we've done lots of previous series. If you like your horror, for example, we've done a load of kaiju. We've done the entire Universal canon. And we're doing Hammer now. Wonderful stuff. Stephen, thank you once again, mate, for the Hall of Fame and the Crypt of Fame this week. My pleasure. Okay, guys, take care. See you all very soon. Bye. Take care. Positive shot. Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir. I'm sick of pain. <laughs>